What is up and welcome back to Zen Business, the show that studies health and mindfulness habits that ultra high performers use to reach the top of their industry and their craft. I'm your host, Jonathan Maxim, Managing Director at K&J Growth Hackers and founder of five digital companies. We've grown these companies to great levels and created an exciting and fulfilling life for our team members, but the truth is it was much more challenging than we ever could have imagined. All right, now let's jump in. Welcome back to the Zen Business Show. As you guys know, I'm Jonathan Max, I'm your host, and here today I have Dylan Gambardella, longtime friend and just an absolutely inspirational young entrepreneur. Dylan is 24 years old. He's an entrepreneur, speaker, and investor. He's the co-founder of NextGenHQ, which is a millennial entrepreneurship brand as well as Gen Z that does a large and, and well-reputable conference that I know has been featured in Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, and many more and uh, is the premier business hub powering over 20,000 of the greatest young entrepreneurs with tools and resources to overcome obstacles and chase their dreams. Dylan's also helped brands like Target, Capital One, Dell, access, engage with, and influence the next generation, speaking specifically about like millennials and Gen Zs, and also been featured in Forbes, Inc., Adweek, Entrepreneur, and USA Today for his work leading a venture-backed scaling startup. He also graduated from Duke University in 2017 and has spoken in front of tens of thousands on global stages, including TEDx. So welcome to the show, Dylan. John, thank you so much for having me. You are the man. I'm fired up to be here with you today. Uh, someone that I look up to as a friend, a brother, a mentor, and all the above. Let's dive in, man. We're going to have a blast. Absolutely. And as you know, Zen Business is all about understanding human psychology and how our, our thoughts lead to our actions, lead to our you know, behaviors and habits and how those influence things like the, the quality of life, the quality of business and, and financial health. Um, I'm really interested in entrepreneurs who meditate and, and executives who lead with mindfulness. So um, that's, you know, that definitely my pursuit today. And I, you know, I have some questions put together and, and, you know, I'd just like to jump right in. My first question to you is, and I, I'm always curious to reference this against my own upbringing, but, you know, what specific experiences in your childhood do you think were formative in making you into a lifelong entrepreneur? You know, I don't think there's any other option for you. You hit the nail on the head. It definitely started early for me, John. I think if I'm being honest with myself, it all ties back to my family, my parents, mom and dad, and my older sister, Alexa. And for me, I think it's good to just hone in on what I even consider entrepreneurship. But it's really, today, I, I feel more confident. I would not have been able to say this back then, but it's life design, right? Entrepreneurship is a vehicle to build the life of your dreams, whatever that might be. It doesn't have to necessarily be in the business world. Perhaps it can be. It can be in the young politico space. You can be an author, a writer. Who knows? You're an entrepreneur, right? You're chasing your best life. So for me, as long as I can remember, I was looking to achieve. And ultimately, if I'm being honest, it wasn't always for the, the reasons that today I'm looking to achieve, right? Today I'm looking to drive impact, of course, to enjoy the, the sides of life that are financial and, and you know, doing nice things and going on great experiences. But back in the day, I just really enjoyed the pursuit of what I'll call greatness, whether that was in, in school, in my academic pursuits, in, in athletics, uh, it didn't really matter. I just wanted to be great at it. I just wanted to do well. And I thought that I kind of owed it to my, my parents because they were so kind, so giving with their time. My parents were both educators. My dad was a high school principal. My mom was a school psychologist. Mm -hmm. um, we were definitely uh, had a great upbringing, and I'm very blessed that I grew up in, in Westchester, New York. And uh, but we were by no means millionaires, right? We didn't have 
uh, what even some of my classmates did. My parents would never let me know that. And only in my adulthood have I, looking back, realized how lucky I was, how the sacrifices they made. So for me, the pursuit of greatness, the desire to achieve was uh, what I, I think ultimately a thank you to them. And I never, never thought it was called entrepreneurship, but I just kept doing it and kept learning and exploring. I'm a really curious guy. I know you are too. And today, that entrepreneurship, this, this next gen HQ business that we are, are so passionate about building and growing, it is simply a vehicle for me to continue chasing my dreams. And my partner, Justin, he and I, we're building next gen for ourselves to go out and, and have that life that we're looking for. And it's kind of just the natural evolution. Entrepreneurship, one of the best parts is you don't really know what tomorrow holds. You have an idea, right? You got a business plan, you got a 12 month, 18 month outlook, but you don't really know. And that is so much fun, right? Guys like us, anybody who's listening, that fires you up. Other people, rightfully so, it scares the crap out of you. And that's cool too. But as long as I can uh, think back in, in my own journey, I've been excited about the possibilities of tomorrow. And uh, that still is what gets me going. Did you get good grades in, in high school and middle school? I did. I was actually my uh, class valedictorian back in the day. A bit of a nerd, if I must say. <laughs> you've, uh, you've grown out of it well. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think uh, we can pride ourselves on our nerdiness at this point. Um, I didn't get good grades. You know, I was below average as a student. And I mean, it was for an array of reasons, but I'm always curious because some entrepreneurs get really bad grades and, you know, are insubordinate and get kicked out of school and that kind of shit. Um, but, totally. you know, it's, I think you have a very clean track record in terms of just doing things the right and smart way instead of having to learn by, you know, getting all beat up along the way, which probably was more of, it, of my story. But looking back at your childhood, was did you ever, you know, start a business super young? Were you shuffling driveways or selling drugs or no, I'm just kidding, or, or you know, any kind, of, <laughs> any kind of other enterprise that you did that you think contributed to your confidence to sign up for everyday risk? I love the piece you pull out about the whole world of like academics as a young person. Even now when we're going about hiring folks, I don't care what your GPA was. Yeah, sure. I was a nerd. I was valedictorian and all that jazz. That's great. But if you had C's, you could also have, you know, developed the skills and, and learn from those mistakes and or failures and or you might have been passionate outside the classroom. So I love that you pulled on that. Uh, I think that's so important. And our current world maybe from a higher education into the workforce is not designed as nearly how I would hope it would be. But for me, I think my first business pursuit, I look back at ninth grade, the FBLA club, Future Business Leaders of America. And at the time, I think I joined because my friends were in it, right? And it was like the thing to do if, if you thought you wanted to go into business, maybe. I had no idea what that meant. But we had this idea to start selling lollipops. We would buy in bulk thousands of lollipops and over the next three months, try to sell them. And we would buy them for average price, like, you know, 50 cents lollipop, sell them for a dollar. Great margins. I had no idea what the word margin meant, but I knew that if I could have 100 lollipops in a bag in between periods two and three, right at lunch, kids would come up to me. They'd be like, Dylan, you got any more of the raspberry flavor? But yeah, I got raspberry, you know, step aside, come over here. And I'd sell them lollipops. And we did that for three years. Ultimately, in my junior year, this is hilarious, uh, Michelle Obama passed certain public school education, uh, like food safety guidelines, and it meant that we couldn't sell pure sugar lollipops. So our business was destroyed by the government in uh, junior year. Hilarious. I'll, I'll pause that because we can go down a rabbit hole there, I'm sure. But that was my first experience, man. I realized that if I could be, if I can come up with a product, a service that other people wanted, they'd pay for that. 
And if I can make 50 cents on a lollipop, you sell enough lollipops, you're making enough money. And we did this, my, my friends, about a dozen of us, for three years, constantly throughout the year. We'd order a thousand, run out of them, order a new thousand, and keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. It wasn't hard, but it was fun. And I really enjoyed it and found a way to actually get to you know, do something I liked, make money in the process, and start to grow as a, you know, oh, Dylan, he's, he's the lollipop guy, right? Let me go, let me go find Dylan. And that's, uh, you know, always a blast in itself. I was just going to say, isn't, isn't sugar considered a drug now? Maybe we're a drug dealer. <laughs> yeah. no, there you go. Lollipops, the OG. There you go. Yeah, OG. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, though. I mean, all the hurdles that you encounter in an experience like that tell you about how to deal with things in the real world. I mean, like COVID comes and restaurants need to put their dining rooms on the patio. Um, it's probably going to be really hard when winter comes, but it's forced a lot of them to be more right. adaptive. And, you know, as much as I'm not for the government intervening with business that much, I do appreciate that those kind of experiences teach us to be more versatile and creative. And I think a lot of businesses and people benefited from learning to work from home and, and letting business run from home a little bit more, uh, you know, better lifestyle for the employees, more productivity for, for certain people, I guess, um, maybe not all of them. But, uh, you know, I, I think you've had a lot of involvement, experience in the education of younger people, especially through all the mentorship that you do. You've even facilitated me being a mentor to, to people in your community. And what's your outlook on education? Do you think, you know, I, I guess, let me ask you this. Do you look for a college degree when, uh, or the resume when you're going to hire? We ask if you want to give it. We do ask for resume. I'd be lying to you. If I told you that I've read every resume of anybody who's applied, <laughs> I'll look. I will certainly look, mostly to, to get a bit of the experience, right? Don't get me wrong. You went to Duke. I'm going to like that. I'm going to definitely add that into my notes. You didn't go to Duke. That's fine. But what did you do, right? Did you have the experience? Did you sell iPops on, on your street corner, right? Whatever it was that you can talk about that you're going to add to that hustle, that grit, that overall mentality of being an entrepreneur. I mean, Johnny, you hit the nail on the head of, if these restaurant owners are adapting and finding ways to make it work for now, of course, hopefully we can all you know, send our prayers that the global situation improves and we don't have to worry about some of these problems anymore. But entrepreneurship is a mindset and it really hones in on problem solving. Right? Can you adapt? Can you take the current framework, the current environment that you're operating in, and can you find a way to make it work at all costs, right? It's life or death out there for, and I say this full well, grateful that, my health situation is not impacted right now, and I'm super lucky and, and blessed for that to be the case. But as a business owner, heck, we host a lot of events. You mentioned it in the intro, Next Gen Summit, our in-person event. We couldn't do that this year. We're probably not going to get to do that next year, 21, right? Who knows next time we'll get 1,000 people together in person. So it's life or death for our business. We could have waited, and we could sit here, and I could talk to you and jam with you all day. That'd be a blast. And then wait till 2022 to host an event. Or we could say, let's figure it out right? Let's buckle up. Let's try to navigate the waters as uncertain as it looks. Let's try to see what tomorrow holds and let's make the changes that are necessary. They're going to be tough. It's not going to be fun, but that is, uh, that, that's the approach we've tried to take. So hilariously long answer. I, I do glance at the resume, but it's more about what the heck you've done to this point. Like what, what were the experiences you're bringing to this interview, whether on Zoom or in an office that you're going to be able to get on the, the train, the momentum train that we like to joke about at Next Gen and push us forward. That's what it comes down to. Do you recommend that kids go to college or graduating high school? That's a great question. I think it is so case by case. 
again, I, I fully recognize I'm a product of Duke University, right? I, I went to a prestigious school, as most would say, got a degree, but I was also an entrepreneur building a business the whole time. And so I don't think I was the traditional student. I do not believe college is for everybody. That is a 100% firm belief. I think that college can be great, less so for the academic side, if you are a general liberal arts type of student. Don't get me wrong, if you're trying to be a doctor, you gotta go to college, right? Go study medicine, go to med school, et cetera. But if you are figuring out where your passions lie, things like gap years, experiential learning opportunities are really tremendous for everybody. If I was going back in time, I would certainly tell myself, take that gap year, go try a few things, figure it out. And then if you decide college is for you, go full steam. But the general blanket advice of, oh, go to college, you'll figure it out. I do believe that's wrong. I think that's outdated. I think the system's broken in a lot of ways that high school to college, just like a feeder, it's an on-ramp, right? It's expected almost. And that's wrong. We should show our young people that there's a lot of opportunities out there for you, including entrepreneurship, including doing something that is not currently on the market. You can, you can birth new opportunity yourself. That was never told to me. That was legitimately never crossed my mind when I was in high school. I knew I was going to college from the day I entered ninth grade. And I think that's a problem. So I, I hope that the work that we are able to do and, and lead at NextGen is part of a solution where we can provide the entrepreneurial trainings in the sense of the mindset, less about, you know, this is what's going to build your company further. But hopefully someone comes to NextGen Summit, they come, they, they meet me, they meet our team, and they're leaving with a, a bit of that framework, that mindset, that mentality to build their life. That's what we try to preach. And if you also in the process build a billion dollar company, heck yeah, I'm going to be there supporting you every step of the way, right? Patting you on the back, telling you to go faster, go, go, go. The one track mindset is just not meant for 2020s young people anymore. I can empathize. I try not to bring my opinion out too much in this show, but I definitely can see why uh, people might not think that a blanket statement is relevant here for going to college. I mean, I know for sure, like, there's a certain cool factor of going to college. And if you're not going to college, you're kind of a deadbeat. You're probably, you know, either going to the military or a community college, neither of which are glamorous when you're that age. But entrepreneurship, which ultimately is going to be the sexiest 10 years down the road, is not sexy at all when you're in high school. Right. And, you know, I guess that begs the question for me, like, whether you're a student graduating, a parent who has a kid, or just, you know, uh, maybe somebody in our age group who has a political fire behind them and wants to make change, like, what would you say the factors we need to evaluate in deciding whether to go to college or into entrepreneurship are? What are those questions we should be asking? I think it starts with awareness and exposure. So imagine if high school seniors could get to spend an hour with a guy like you, right? Imagine you going to a high school class and speaking about your experience. You, I think, have the perfect resume to talk about for an entrepreneur how you went through it all, right? You did the education thing, then you went to corporate America, you got the corporate job at Comcast, no offense, love Comcast, but then you realized that there was more for you out there. More, maybe not the best word, I won't put words in your mouth, but you found entrepreneurship. And it wasn't an accident, right? You were looking for it. You were attending Next Gen Summit. You were yeah. going to other meetups, meeting people who were doing it. So you put yourself in those opportunities and then you had the idea for Via Fitness and, and K&J, right? And then they, they were able to transpire and grow from there. Too many young people just don't even know that's an option. So first and foremost, if you think you're passionate about something, whatever that is, whether it's that doctor, lawyer, investment banker career, that's fine. Just go learn a bit about it. Right. And don't just learn on YouTube. Don't just learn on the Internet, but maybe go meet somebody, have a few conversations with a, a potential mentor in that space. See if you can shadow them. 
I think there's this fear that we don't have our purpose in life as young people and that that's a problem. I vehemently disagree that you have to know what you want to do at 18 years old. I didn't know what I want to do at 18. I barely know what I want to do today for the rest of my life. And I think that's fine. And we're just never told that's okay. So I'm a proponent of get out there, have some vocational experience, get on the job, work, and try a few things. And through those experiences as a young person, whether on a gap year, whether internships or during your college career, whatever that might be, then you'll have an idea of what gets you out of bed in the morning, what gets you fired up. And ultimately, start chipping away at that, right? Pull that string a bit more. And hopefully you find that career that's going to make you excited. I remember, Johnny, when we were starting Next Gen, we uh, came across a stat, Justin and myself, and our, you know, putting together that first deck, if you will, that first pitch deck. Something like 80% of America's workforce is unhappy every day. I forget the exact terminology they use. It's pretty hilarious. Like some way of saying unhappy or really miserable in a politically correct way. But imagine that four to five people that you know get up every day and are pissed off from their nine to five. That sounds miserable. I don't want that ever. And I don't want that for anybody. So I think you have to really make the effort when you're young to put the time in, to learn, to go slow, to have those experiences and not be in a rush. Eventually, whether it's at 22 or 24 or 30, doesn't matter when, but you'll find that place you're supposed to be. And it won't be a job in the traditional sense. It'll be what you're hopefully here to do, at least in a, a bit of a meaningful way. And, and work will be very different. That's my outlook, at least. So for the 80% of people who are out of alignment with their purpose and their career, what do you recommend to somebody who feels that way about themselves? You know, do they take the leap and you know, potentially plummet into a, a deep depression of being broke and not having direction? Or, you know, do they change jobs? Like, what do you recommend for somebody who's in that state of being in life? Yeah, that's such a tough, such a tough question. And, and again, I can only really speak from my personal experience and I don't have anybody counting on me, right? I'm doing this for Dylan at this point in time. I want to succeed for my friends like you, for my family, my parents, et cetera. But I don't have children. I don't have a wife that I'm, I'm putting a spouse, you know, food on the table for. So it is definitely a unique situation and different. But I will say that if anybody out there is in that mindset, but they're aware that they are unhappy, kudos to you. Like That's a huge win in itself. The awareness factor is so underappreciated. Like, we don't really know whether we're happy or sad sometimes. We just kind of operate. So if you are aware that what you do for a living is not something that gets you excited in the most remote of the word, what can we start doing today in the, the, the minor aspect? Is it joining a peer group that you speak to once every other week? And that two-hour conversation makes the other you know 40-hour work week a little bit more bearable. And then six months from now, is it that you go on a retreat and you go on a professional continued ed type of learning experience, right? You go to a conference like Next Gen Summit, surround yourself with more of the people that are doing where you think you might have passion for. And ultimately, over time, hopefully you'll have some of these, these uh, aha moments, right? Oh, I can see myself maybe not going entrepreneurial in the most traditional sense of the word, but moving my career to this field or focusing more on my free time in this area or volunteering. There are so many low-hanging fruit opportunities to gain this experience. They're not always the most accessible sometimes, depending on you know where you live or, or what your life situation is. But we're in the Zoom era now, man, right? Everything is like a Zoom call away. You can connect with almost everybody, join a, a meditation group, whatever it is that you're looking to learn more about. So just start chipping away. Like come up with that list of what does get you excited about 
and find the easiest ways to get more of that in your life. Great example here, one of my sister's best friends, she was unhappy at work, but she loved animals. So she joined a shelter. And on Saturdays, she goes and, and volunteers like three hours of her time. And now she loves work. Did work change? No chance, right? Her job is probably exactly the same and maybe as miserable as it was, but she's happy now because those three hours at the animal shelter give her what she needs to feel fulfilled, to feel like she's making a difference. And nine to five, Monday through Friday is just hits a little bit differently. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I, one, I love the idea of, of bringing awareness to something. You can't make a strategic decision about your life or any business stuff until you're aware of the facts of the matter. Uh, and in our consciousness, that's becoming aware of our how we feel about things, where we want to go with things. But I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to be in a miserable job. There's a quote that I think about all the time. I tell it to my girlfriend all the time. It's, you are exactly where you're supposed to be right now, or you are right where you're supposed to be. And like it reminds me of being a kid and, the, and your parents, you know, you have a shitty experience and they say, oh, well, it builds character. And you're like, yeah, well, I don't want character. But the truth is, is that like those hard experiences are there for a reason. And even if the only way you can fill your cup is by volunteering at the shelter so that you can get through this period of, say, being a paralegal on your way to being a lawyer, you shouldn't just like drop out of being you know, a paralegal because you're not happy in this moment in time. But understand that, you know, this is a stepping stone and a bigger journey for me. You know, I love everything you added to that, like just kind of exploring and bringing more awareness to it, which is the essence of mindfulness uh, and also how we run k and I'll explain in a second when it comes to our ads, but at least if I can offer a little piece of advice on this, it would be journal, you know, write down and materialize your thoughts on it because you will hash through a lot of your own intentions. I think just, you know, writing it down on paper and, and making yourself own up to your own thoughts. There's a really important and powerful impact to that. But when you bring awareness to those thoughts, then one, you can face your demons and you can say, okay, I'm okay with the fact that I have a demon or that I'm not doing what I love. The way this concept ties into everything we do is like when we are running Facebook ads, we run, you know, 500 different ad variations across, you know, four different creatives, five different landing pages, a hundred different audiences to find, to bring awareness to which audience is responding best to our value proposition. So it's all about gathering data and gathering the facts. And it's the same way we do it with mindfulness is bringing these things to, to the front instead of having this cloud of anxiety that follows us around where this is wrong and that's wrong and everything kind of blurs together and ah, everything sucks because they will cloud together. And, you know, I think that mindfulness component, you seem to be very mindful, especially given the fact that your business changed dramatically with COVID. So how are you, one, staying mindful through that and two, you know, continuing to develop this community of 20,000 people? I, I so appreciate that, John. And everything you said, I'm full on in agreement with to add a few quick ones at, at the end. I Not to go uh, the God train if anybody's not on the faith path, but I grew up believing that God hands us what we can handle. And ultimately, if you have some of the difficulties in your life, I try actively. I, it's so hard and I find myself slipping up all the time. But I try to pause a bit, zoom out and tell myself, what can I learn from this? Right? How can I get better? Whether it's a difficulty at work, a personal challenge, a health challenge, goodness forbid, right? You name it. What am I supposed to learn from this, right? How am I supposed to get better? And just sitting with that simple question, sitting with that difficulty, that uneasiness has oftentimes been a solution in itself. Realizing that this is a thing, this too shall pass. I'm meant to, you know, feel this, experience this. And eventually I'll be better off because I had this experience. 
that is powerful as a framing. So I try to take that approach into everything. COVID, I think, is a great example. I could have never told you seven, eight months ago how I would handle business in a crisis. I am the type of guy who always likes to make the most educated decision. Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. I take crazy risks, just like everybody, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I love to think things through, plan ahead whenever possible, run the analysis, if you will, and then make a decision, especially when it's a, a big decision. Then COVID comes and all of a sudden planning's out the window. You can't see next month, let alone tomorrow. But I remember there was a period from March to April where truly every single day felt like the world had 180'd. And that's such a scary, unsafe place to operate. But we couldn't just pause the business. As CEO, I couldn't just say to my team, all right, team, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed right now. I'm going to check out. I'll catch you when things are better. Good luck to you. You know, 15 team members right now. And they all look to myself, to my partner for direction, for vision. And if I'm not being mindful or at least being honest and authentic, then they're going to see right through that. And we're going to be hitting a, a standstill in every turn we try to make. So I had to just say, okay, Dylan, this is a crazy situation. You're probably going to screw up, but that's cool because, you know, the world is the world right now, but you can't not play the game. You can't let this take you out of the game. So I had to accept that and uncertainty. All right, bring it on. I'm going to make decisions anyways. I'm going to bring our company here. We're going to decide to grow in this way. We're going to have to scale back here, right? Those XYZs, those ABCs, end of the day, you know, two years from now, I can look back hopefully and, and determine what worked, what didn't work, where I can learn and, and, and how I can grow and reflect. But I, I knew and I know today, even because we're not out of it, right? We're still very much so facing this situation. I, I got to still do my best and be me and not let the fear of failure prevent me from chasing my dreams. So I try to be as present in the moment as possible, that a lot of it stems from meditation and uh, a practice that has only been cultivated further in the past few months in quarantine. But I, I'm blessed to, to, through that combination of faith and, and meditation and mindfulness and incredible people like yourself that I learned from. Quick aside, John told me like four or five years ago, first thing in the morning when you wake up, you have a glass of water next to your bed. And I have legitimately never gone to sleep without a glass of water next to my bed since then. So little things, right? But the little things add up. 1% changes here and there. And hopefully, you know, when we're chatting next in a few weeks, few months, whatever it is, we're a little bit better off than we are today. That's the, the sole focus, right? Let's get a little bit better today, do what we can, and we'll keep the lights on for tomorrow. Yeah, that's a, a concept that I'm very fascinated by, which is the concept of compound interest on ourself, right? When we invest yeah. in ourself, it's easy to quantify that when we put it into a 401k or an investment account. We, you know, we made either 1% or 2% or 7%, but we can like look at it right on a dashboard and see it. Whereas with ourself, we don't have that clear measure of it, right? Like if we drink water every morning, we don't necessarily know the health benefit, but 80 years down the road, I mean, your you know, mitochondria could be more healthy because you're taking better care of your cells along the way. And you wouldn't be able to quantify that. And so I think a lot of us underestimate the value of doing the little things because it's harder to self-quantify, whether that's journaling in the morning and meditation and all that stuff. Especially, you know, like the other day I was notified that I had done like, I don't know, like 395 meditations on this one app. When you look at that in retrospect, it's like, damn, that's a lot of meditation, a lot of peace and quiet time I've created for my mind to be less stressed, you know, age less, things like that. But again, it's hard for us to quantify. We just, we don't see the difference on a maybe day-to-day -day basis. 
You know, like I was listening to another podcast this morning. Uh, it was Lewis Howes and this guy talking about extension of life. And he said, one of the things that we can do to extend our life is fasting. The less food we eat in general extends our lifespan. But, you know, fasting day to day might feel like you're dying. Whereas over the course of 50 years, again, mitochondria health will be much more improved and you'll stay younger for a longer period of time. You won't get to an old age and you won't stay that older age or age as fast if you fast for one, two, three days at a time every once in a while. Meanwhile, it kind of feels like death while you're doing it, right? Like a lot of people get sick, they get headaches, etc. I really wanted to hammer that point home for everyone listening because it's like, be willing to do the little work, you know, when you see somebody who's playing golf and they've got a perfect swing and they chip just right and they choose the right club every time, those are each one little action that contribute to an overall golf strategy. And the same thing goes for mindfulness. So Dylan, like, what pitfalls have you had in your personal health and mindfulness journey that, that you think were you know, worth remarking on? I am such a fan of everything you just said, John. This is what fires me up. The idea of self-compound interest, the idea of this long-term infinite game type of thinking. I spend legitimately my entire day in that, in that framework uh, because it's so fascinating, right? I'm also an intermittent faster. I, I try to think about my long-term health. And I know it's super crazy, super weird, right? Whatever. I'm 24 years old, but I, I say things in conversation. Like I want to be here for my grandkids, right? I want to live to hundred for them. Everybody's like, dude, you're 24. What do you, what do you mean? Right? That's when it starts though. And I, I try to find solutions to your point about, we got to find the satisfaction in the short term that enables us to keep going in the long term. So small wins, right? Whatever that is, however that might manifest for you. James Clear, Atomic Habits, his book, unbelievable, such a game changer. 1% improvements every day. You think after a year, what, like 365%? Um, no, 37 times better. That's how much better you get, right? Not just 365%, 37 times better if you get 1% a day. For me, learning about how this applied to my mindful practice, when I was beginning meditating, I started my journey I remember, Johnny, we were in Minneapolis together talking about how I had just really started meditating and it was following a separation from a, an ex-girlfriend. And I looked to mindfulness as a tool to just focus on me, right? To center on me. And you were there for me the entire journey. I, I will always be thankful for you and the support you provided as a, a friend and, and a resource for a lot of these ideas. But I was inconsistent, right? I would be great for one week. I'd meditate 10 minutes every morning for five days and then you know, that thing happened on Saturday and, oh, well, you know, I didn't do it yesterday. So you know, the football game's on. I'll watch the football game on Sunday. Next thing you know, it's been four days I've been meditating, right? I couldn't keep to it. I'd be really good, short sprints, but I couldn't keep to it. And then I took the 1% approach and I actualized this. I'll give a lot of credit to my, my good friend and partner, Justin Lafazan. We talked about my, my difficulties here and I, I said, I just can't keep with it. So he said, what's the bare minimum you can really focus on? And I now, uh, again, another shout out to Kyle Heron. I focus on the bare ass minimums, the BAMs, right? That I could say every single day I'm going to do. And with meditation, I can meditate one minute a day, right? For the rest of my life, one minute a day. That's not a lot. So I started with one minute. I meditated for one minute. I was like, this is a joke. This is the easiest thing. Two months ago, I meditated for 20 minutes, but I'm committing to it. One minute. I did that for a week. Then the next week I did two minutes, then three minutes. And I've legitimately followed that process. And today, every morning, I meditate for about 20 minutes. And I like to get a second meditation in the afternoon. But I didn't start with a 20 minute in the second. I started with a one minute in the second afternoon meditation. And then I did two minutes. And, and I maybe skipped three and four, went to five. So I 
broke my own advice a little bit, but you got to practice what you preach. And uh, I, I spout a lot sometimes and I forget to drink my own Kool-Aid. So I had to look in the mirror, quite honestly, John. And uh, that, that meditation learning was key. Now, I don't want to say I'm perfect, right? I, there are days I don't journal. There are still nights when I don't look back and reflect on the, the three best things that I'm grateful for that day. Uh, but 99 out of 100 times, I'm going to do these things because they're habits, they're ingrained in me. I think also accountability partners are a humongous pro tip for anybody out there. I'll give a quick shout out to mine, DJ Perez, another fellow Next Gener, who he and I about three months ago, midway through the quarantine thus far, we, through this app called Kin, K-I-N, we started just tracking our habits, new habits with each other. So for example, I wanted to be really good about my priority for each day. So I pick the one most important thing that make today a success. And I would text to him every morning. And then he would, you know, like it, heart it, whatever. And we track it in the app. Did Dylan do X, Y, Z? And then did Dylan let me know how it went that day in the afternoon? And so not only did I have an app, a software to keep me accountable, but I had a buddy who I know cared about me and was giving my, or his time, excuse me, to me. That's everything, right? And I know that you're out there doing the same for me. Even when we don't talk, I'm looking on your Instagram story. I'm seeing Johnny, this guy's meditation in, and he hit a great workout. Dang, Dylan, what are you doing? It's 6 p.m., 7 p.m., get in the gym. And that's the type of accountability that I think is huge. And, and the positive social media, right? You don't even know it. I don't tell you this that much, but every now and then I'll reply to a story. Literally every day I see you work out. I'm like, Dylan, what are you doing, man? Go hit the gym, go work out. So that's how I, I live my life. And that's what I think is the best part about it. And meanwhile, there's somebody upstream from me who's inspiring me to do that either through a podcast 100%. or through an Instagram story. One of my questions that came up earlier while you're telling this was like 1% better per day. I was going to ask, how do we be 1% better per day? But you already explained it. You know, maybe you start with one minute of meditation, which is actually really powerful. There are one, 60 second meditations, which are, they dominate. But anyway, you, look, you might get to 20 minutes and, and stop there or do two sessions of 20 minutes per day, which is completely acceptable and great practice. There's another component of it compounding your own awareness, your own mental processing power, your memory, your mood are improving every time you do this stuff in serial order. So even if you're not doing more minutes per day, you're still building up more compound value, one, more 1% as you improve Definitely. your daily habit, right? So just by the practice of going to the gym each day, you're getting that much better at your workouts, you're getting that much better at you know learning how to be quick in the gym, whatever it is. You don't necessarily have to do one extra minute in the gym each day, but just going consistently will make you inherently 1% better per day. Maybe 0.1, but fuck it. You know, at least it's, it's a growth, not, you know, an atrophy. And I really like how you brought up the accountability part. I think speaking for myself, a lot of us post to social media to keep ourselves accountable. You know, when we get acknowledgement from friends that's acknowledging the fact that, yes, we got up and got our ass to the gym, you know? Right. So I want to shift gears a little bit and, and use the last few minutes we have here toward the business side of things. Like, you know, you invited me to speak at a big conference that you organized in Minnesota and, you know, we're at the Target headquarters. You had an audience of thousands. You had Target execs there. How do you close a deal like that? What's the sales process look like? What are the sales techniques that you use? You know, it's obviously a huge deal. I, I so appreciate that. And, and I'll say that the deal does not come to life unless we are, are able to have folks like yourself who, whenever the event is, are, are going to be there to lead from the stage, right? To share their wisdom, to bring the whole nine yards to actualization. So for Target, I think it's such a 
perfect microcosm of just how the business world works and especially in entrepreneurship. B2B sales is tough. You know that just as well as I do. Enterprise sales especially, they're long, they're tedious. There's a lot of hoops to jump through. There's corporate America, bureaucracy, right? It's not the same as startup world. And then you, you throw in the fact that I was, I think, 23 at the time, maybe 22 when we first met them and started engaging. I'm inexperienced. So I, don't, I don't know what I don't know. I'm only becoming more and more aware of that every day. But with Target in particular, we connected with our stakeholder actually through a next-gen community member. And I want to highlight this because ultimately it proves if you provide value and you do what you're here to do, the world works in strange ways and it comes around. So here's a community member, his name's Barat, incredible entrepreneur, has come to our Next Gen Summit, our own event, many a time. And he then joins and applies to the Target Incubator and the, their accelerator program and ends up connecting with the team. And he says, hey, you know, you should meet the, uh, the Next Gen team. They're, they're doing a lot of great stuff. I think you'd love them. Introduces me to the team at Target, their HQ. And within months, we had our first mini deal, a small little event sponsorship together. Then we over-delivered, we exceeded expectations, which is a core value of what we do and what I, I tell all of our team members, exceed expectations. Be really clear about setting them, but then over-deliver to the max. And once we did that, it opened up this mega deal, as you pointed out, John. So we were just true to our word, right? We provided a great value prop for the entrepreneur coming to next gen, help them along their journey, get them fired up with the momentum to keep going and to keep chasing their dreams. And we didn't even try to reach out, right? There was no elaborate scheme in connecting with Target here. We've done a lot of other crazy elaborate outreach marketing campaigns, you can call them, I guess. Hit my DMs if you'd like to know some of them. But with Target, we provided value. It worked. We over-delivered. And we made relationships our number one priority. That stakeholder on the other side, you best believe she was like a family member to me. I was checking in. She was actually, funny enough, I don't want to reveal personal uh, matters of her, but she was pregnant, I would, you know, checking on the, the child, how's the child doing? She had the kid and that level of friendship, being a human, right? It's not a sale anymore. Yeah, were we trying to work together? Of course, we got a business to run. We got to make money to do that. We are a for-profit company, end of the day. But I don't have to treat you like a robot. I don't have to treat you like a dollar bill. I'm going to treat you like a person. And especially in corporate America, I think people value that because it's not always the norm, right? Sometimes we are too machine-like. And when I can come in there, when my team can come in and provide a human face that is there to add value first and foremost, that's going to stand out. And that's our playbook, man. Add value, over-deliver, make relationships number one. And remember that it's a long game. Things come around as long as you're doing what you're here to do. How did you provide value up front? What specific thing did you do? We went above and beyond in terms of their programming for their incubator. We were able to plug in a few extra AMAs or ask me anything for some of our speakers. So we knew that they had a program going on in Minneapolis. We had the luxury of knowing incredible folks like yourself who have graced our stages before and been great speakers at our events. So we offered to put something together for their team. And I think it went pretty well. We were able to get them in front of a, a speaker or two. And that is a, a nice thing that's you know, not crazy for us to do. It's, it's not the most insane thing in the world. Is it work? Of course, but it's worthwhile, right? Because we want long-term partners that view us truly in the most native way of the word as a partner, as someone there with them working on the same goals. And that requires not just meeting the, you know, the contractual obligations per se, but being a human being and, and understanding what goes into that. Yeah, I think the, the business lesson I can learn from that is that you took something, a resource that was not expensive for you to leverage, but high value to them, and threw it in there, right? 
I think intros are, right. are a great way to get additional leverage in relationships and, and to make deals happen, especially when you, you, you're talking about a company like, like Target, where one intro could be game-changing for that contact there. One person who can solve a problem they've been wrestling with for years. Same goes for you know us at a smaller level, but that has Definitely. always been a good bargaining chip for me is my network. And especially when I'm doing podcasts, because look, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna put you on a platform of about forty thousand people in my audiences, and I'm gonna promote you, and I'm, you know, getting long form content, putting you in front of people. But also, I'm getting to network with you, and I'm getting to deepen my relationship with you 100%. and your community. Like oftentimes, people come to me to get featured in publications like Forbes or Entrepreneur, and you know, I have some sources I can make it happen, and that is incredibly valuable. You know, I can introduce somebody who's credible and has the story, and I can get them plugged in, in a very short time frame, and using those relationships to get more leverage and to improve what you're offering to people is just incredibly powerful. I'm glad you brought that up because there are things that most of us can do that are low cost and low effort that are high value for other people, which Definitely. obviously you know makes you think like, this is a pretty good business proposition in itself. Maybe I should do that professionally. But anyway, it's really impressive that you closed the deal like that because I'm midway through working on a contract. Sadly, I'm under NDA, I can't talk about who, but it's a big, I would say they're probably Fortune 500 and the contract was in legal for like eight weeks. And- Killer. I mean, any other deal, I'd be like, this deal is dead in the water. But like, it's just the way corporate it's standard is. standard practice. But it also means they're more committed to it. So that was a sense of confidence for me. All right, well, look, I only have a few more minutes here. Sadly, I really wanted to run longer, but somebody booked my next time slot. So I'm forced to cut a little bit shorter than I had hoped. But I guess looking forward, Dylan, how can we as a community and the Zen Business listenership, how can we support you better? Is it joining the Facebook group? Is it following on Instagram? Or is it buying a ticket to a digital event that you know is gonna have a big impact on our network and, and life or what is it? I, I so appreciate that. And, and thank you, John, for having me on here. I uh, have learned so much from you and the opportunity to get to meet a few of your audience members, anybody out there who's listening. I, I hope that I could return the favor a little bit, 1% of uh, what John has, has meant to me. So if anybody is vibing at all with the, the Next Gen Momentum Mojo, I'd love to meet you. So first and foremost, reach out if I can help you in any way, whether that's through our, our services, our tools, our community, or just having a conversation, like getting you acclimated with more people who are thinking like, like we are, and I know you are as a listener. Head to nextgenhq.com, N-E-X-T-G-E-N-H-Q.com. There you can find links to our community, our online Facebook group, as John said, and our Roundup newsletter, which goes out once a week. Really awesome opportunity to, to see what's up in the entrepreneurial community. Right? Learn a bit, meet other members, get some great opportunities. We feature things like speaking and, and full-time jobs, part-time gigs, you name it. Right? We try to feature at least three incredible opportunities for entrepreneurs each week. And then I'll arrive in your inbox Monday nights. But ultimately, again, if anything I can do for you that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. It's about giving, right? Adam Grant said it best the, in, in the whole give and take thesis. I want to help you. And uh, I, I know that ultimately I will learn from that. I will, I will benefit from that experience. So don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome, Dylan. Thank you so much for, for providing that context. And I just want to give a little bit more color and description to the next gen community. So there's the, the Facebook group. There's the conference, which will which was done virtually this year, which I have attended and I've loved it. Uh, I also did the pitch competition there. I got mentorship. I gave mentorship. Um, 
Also, for anybody listening, I would say definitely catch the Roundup newsletter. I've posted several jobs in there. Um, I have hired people through there. I have also gotten gigs through there. You guys helped me close University of Delaware as a client. You know, I would say for sure those are valuable resources for anybody curious to learn. But really, I mean, I think NextGen is, that was my platform for networking. That's how I met Mark Cuban's team. I've met like three different people on his team in different roles through different people. I have met people from San Francisco venture capital firms, from the Teal Foundation, Teal Fellows. So, I mean, look, it's just crazy, crazy good networking for anybody who, who's looking to, to connect with people. And maybe it's time to make the leap. You know, maybe you're in that 80% who, who hates your job and can be honest with yourself about it. And it's time to you know, take the leap. This is definitely a good place to start. So with that, thank you so much for coming on, Dylan. Uh, You're an awesome and extremely charismatic person. And I can see why you've had so much success, especially in speaking and and bringing people together and uh, glad to be a part of it and look forward to seeing you around. The honor is all mine, my friend. I can't wait to do this again soon, hopefully in person. And uh, maybe we'll catch a Lakers game in the next little bit. But thank you and have a wonderful rest of the day, man. I'm game. All right. See you later, Dylan. Much love, brother. 